Well, it is uh, not only uh, a different type of Sunday, but it's uh, 4th of July weekend, right? We're anticipating Independence Day on Tuesday. And in that, I want to express our gratitude and thankfulness for the freedom that we have to worship, to gather like this in public without any fear of, or, or threat of persecution. Uh, it's one of those freedoms we certainly appreciate and don't want to take for granted in our country. You know, there are dear brothers and sisters around the globe who do not have opportunity to gather uh, as freely as we do. And so we appreciate that. And we acknowledge as well that freedom is not what gives us the ability or even opportunity to worship because worship is, is, is done from the heart, right? You can worship any and everywhere. In fact, all of our life is to be lived as an act of worship. It's appreciated we get to gather like this and stand shoulder to shoulder and, and worship side by side, but in your life, all of life is designed to be lived as an act of worship. So we appreciate this freedom. There are many other freedoms we appreciate in our nation, including the freedom of enterprise, right, whether private or public, the freedom of commerce and business and entrepreneurship, capitalism, as we may refer to it. And much of this that we appreciate in that way, in this freedom, spawns what we refer to as work. How much good has been accomplished through this freedom. Individuals have been able to pursue certain things they are passionate about and turn it into profitable work. Solutions to challenges have been found and produced through work, right? Whoever was the one who came up with how to do indoor plumbing, praise God for that person, right? I mean, uh, you know, those type of things we have seen, answers to challenges throughout history, and that is work. Tremendous accomplishments have been performed through this freedom of work. And so we hear things like this. You know, you find something you enjoy doing and you won't have to work a day in your life, right? Um, yeah. Unfortunately, but not surprisingly, this freedom has also provided a platform for sinful expressions of the heart to show themselves. A mindset of radical individualism. Selfishness, greed, a love of money, deceit, corruption, and so on. So today, what I would like to do is continuing on in our study of certain themes that we read about in the book of Proverbs, right? God's wisdom on life. I want to today to help us build a biblical framework for thinking about work. What is God's wisdom on what and how we think about work? How might our pursuit of worship and work, what might they have to do with each other? So maybe today is, uh, we'll provide for you a different way of thinking about what we often term as work. And the wisdom within Proverbs, uh, we find within the context of all of Scripture, right? So we're diving into an exploration of themes we find in Proverbs by understanding, we have to learn of it from Proverbs in the context of all of the wisdom of Scripture together. So I want you to first turn in your Bibles or go in your electronic device to the book of Genesis. And we're going to talk about God's wisdom on work. And one of the first things we are going to find is that work is part of God's created design. Right? Work is part of God's created design. God created and gave to Adam first and then to Eve as his perfect helper. 
He gave to them the clear call and command to have dominion or authority over creation and to work in the midst of it. The first thing we find by way of kind of a creation order or creation mandate is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, and I'll just reflect on this for you, it won't be on the screen, but it says there that God blessed Adam and Eve, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, or to bring it into subjection. So be fruitful, multiply, right? This idea of the family that God gave to us from the very beginning. And then it says in Genesis chapter 2, in the midst of this, that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him, that perfect helper, exactly what was needed. And so we learn much from the order of God's creation, right? How God sequentially even went about things. It wasn't by chance. It wasn't just like, oh, I forgot to make a woman, and so, oh, I better do this. No, God, God was doing things very specifically in an order that teaches us much. There's much for us to learn about the very sequence of how God did things. And one thing is this, is that the responsibility of work is grounded within the context of relationship. Responsibility that God gave to us as work is grounded within the context of relationship. First of all, relationship of, of God and man. In Genesis 1, as I mentioned, God blessed Adam and Eve, right, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. God created this relationship with humanity in a way that was designed to be lived in, in direct relationship with him, fulfilling all that he created and commanded. In Genesis 2, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden, right? He took him and he, and he put him in the garden. That was God's design. This was the relationship. All of this happened in, within relationship of God and humanity. And then we have the man and woman relationship, right? God said it's not good that man is alone. And I will make a helper fit for him, right? That perfect helper. Helper for what? To fulfill God's creation mandate of of working the ground and, and, and keeping it, all that God had blessed them with in this order and design of creation. So together as male and female, that is our endeavor to fulfill what God has given to us as our purpose in life to work what he has given to us. So work is a creation mandate. It was given to us in a state of perfection. This is all before sin came into the world. So what we realize is that work is a blessing from God and meant to be part of his very good creation, right? That's work, a gift of God's grace, beautiful in design and fulfillment amidst the order of his creation, right? We realize, man, of, of all the ways God could have created things and the way he laid things, God didn't have to give to us work. But he chose to, and he chose to give it to us in a way that was meant to be fulfilling, right? In a way way that was meant to bring meaning in life, ultimately to glorify him. Work is a way to glorify God. So if we step back and think for a moment, God said to them, work it, keep it, that which I've blessed you with. 
Why were they to work it and keep it? What, what, what was that like? What were they to do with that? Well, they were to produce order and design. They were to take that which God had created, very good, and to keep it in order and keep it according to its design, to provide and to produce life-giving fruits and vegetables and to manage the garden as God had designed it to function. And in this, we realize every part of creation is meant to glorify God. That reflection we had earlier on Psalm 148, to, to hear of the sounds of the animals and, and of the universe and so on, as we experience in the midst of that with, with multiple senses, with hearing and with vision and so forth. As we experience that, we realize, man, all of that God has created, the, 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 the creatures, right, and the hills and the universe to praise Him and to glorify Him, and, and all of that is crying out. Out to him in praise constantly. And the same is to be true of your life. Right? To view all of your life as an act of worship, to view all of your life as something that is to bring glory and honor to God. And so we realize first as we create a framework, a biblical framework for our understanding of work, is that it's part of God's created design. Second of all, we realize that work is a vital part of what it means to bear God's image. God created us in his image with work in mind. Genesis 1 speaks of this uniqueness of humanity amidst all of creation. It says, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Speaking of that triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our likeness. And he says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In his image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we acknowledge and recognize that the fullness of God's image is, is witness and, and lived out in the midst of male and female together, not only in the beauty of a marriage relationship of husband and wife, but I think just in the beauty of, of humanity as male and female together fulfill that mandate of creation to work God's creation to keep it as he has designed it. And so this image of God, we spoke of it in its fullness, um, tried to go into great detail with it back in the fall when we went through our Grounded series. And so if you were not here for that time and you would like to listen to those messages, you can simply go to the church website and search under messages and type in the word Grounded and that series will come up. And here is one thing that we note about this image of God, right? We read from Genesis 1, and then we get into Genesis 2, the first few verses, it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his, what? Work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Three times within these three verses, we see this emphasis of God resting from the work that he had done. So God worked, right? Let's put that in quotation marks. God worked because God is not like us, right? God does not grow weary and so forth in work. God found great fulfillment and joy in his work. He rested not because he needed it, but because he knew we would need it. 
And so throughout Scripture, we see this place of rest. We see it as a vital significance to the God-man relationship and keeping the relationship most important. So God says, hey, listen, in the midst of working what I have given to you, don't forget to rest. And so he models it for us. So work is important, but it's not to be the most important. What is to be the most important is our relationship with God. God designed things in a way in which we should never forget. Our relationship with him is most important. Work is important, but it's not to consume us. God modeled this for us in the creation order. As things go, we see in Genesis chapter 3 that Eve ate of one of... uh, She ate of the tree, the one tree that God commanded them not to, and she gives some to Adam, and he eats as well, and in that moment, everything changed. Sin changed everything about you and me. Sin changed everything about how the universe functions. In fact, the scripture tells us the universe is groaning, and it's functioning not as God intended it to function, right? There's this weight of sin that is now present. God describes it as a curse that is now upon his creation. And in Genesis 3, we see some very clear aspects of that curse. First of all, to the serpent and then to the woman. God says there will be pain now within childbirth. That pain will be multiplied. And that for a woman, her desire will be contrary to her husband. Now, we spoke of that again very plainly within that grounded series back in the fall. but So we see this curse played out within the life of a woman. And in verse 17, we see the curse that God gives to the man. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. So you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So a very interesting conversation God had with Adam in the garden after he had chosen to disobey God. And he says, listen, it's by the, the sweat of your face, it's by the pain of the labor that you will now work the ground I have given to you, and that you would, it's by this pain that you will keep or maintain what I have given to you. So the clear call of God to work has not changed, but now it is cursed and has become difficult because of the curse. So we realize very plainly, work is not a curse, even though it is now cursed, right? So we must understand that principle. What we do in life, the pain that we experience in the midst of work, doesn't mean that work is a curse. It means that Work is cursed now by God. It is by pain and through this pain that we will keep and maintain what he has blessed us with. Therefore, the challenge in our sinfulness is to rightly understand work and keep it in its place. But we realize sin now in the picture does a few things. Sin tempts us in a few ways. Sin tempts us to, first of all, overwork. We uh, find our identity in work. Work becomes an idol that we, in a sense, worship by the excessive emphasis that we put on it. The word we often use to describe this mindset is being a workaholic, right? 
that it becomes something that dominates our life in a way God never intended. Right? Sin tempts us to overwork. Now, Proverbs speaks of this clearly. So within the framework of what we see from the very beginning in Genesis, the wisdom of God in the Proverbs says this, chapter 23, verses 4 and 5, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist or to stop. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven, right? So the wisdom of God through the man Solomon says this, don't, don't make it your endeavor to work solely to acquire wealth. Don't overwork yourself in a way to just acquire more and to get more and to build bigger. Be discerning enough to stop because that's not what God intended your life to be about. And we all know the fleeting nature of it, right? Money can be here today and gone tomorrow. And therefore, Proverbs 11, verse 4, speaks of it this way, riches, right? In other words, what we've just been told not to pursue excessively in life. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So why should we not spend our life seeking to work and acquire wealth and just build more and more? Because when it comes time to stand before Christ, friend, listen, that's not going to earn you a single thing. Right? God's not going to stand there and go, hey, you know what? Your bank account looks pretty good. You know, you get heaven, right? No. In that day of judgment, our wealth will mean nothing. How we utilized our wealth, how we were a steward of the wealth that God enabled us to acquire in life will certainly be part of that. That's an aspect of righteousness, right? Righteousness delivers from death. So, We realize now with sin in the picture, what God gave to us in the very beginning as part of his very good creation, we can be tempted to utilize in a way of overworking. Second of all, we can be tempted to resist work because it's difficult and painful. The Proverbs, as you read it, if you take opportunity to read those 31 chapters, you'll find repeatedly Solomon's expressions about the sluggard or the lazy. In other words, comfort becomes an idol. Just like for those who are tempted to overwork, the work or greed becomes an idol. For those who are tempted toward resisting work, comfort becomes an idol. We seek to get as much as we can for as little effort as possible. Somehow we think it's not important to work, perhaps. And so Solomon speaks boldly about this within the context of Proverbs, and here's some examples. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4, he says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Chapter 12, verse 24, the hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Chapter 14, verse 23, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty, right? We can talk about working, but if we never get around to it, right? Chapter 20, verse 13, love not sleep. Any ouch out there on that one, right? <laughs> love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. Chapter 21, verses 25 and 26, the desire of the sluggard kills him. For his hands refuse to labor. 
All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. In chapter 28, verse 19, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. So we understand the wisdom of Proverbs, again, within the context of all of the wisdom of Scripture and We find in the New Testament the Apostle Paul addressing an issue with the church in a city called Thessalonica. First and second Thessalonians is a letter uh, that he wrote to them. And as part of that second uh, aspect of Paul's focus with them, he's, he's writing to them because they have kind of foolishly, some of them anyway, have become so focused on the return of Christ. Anybody looking forward to the return of Christ, by the way? Amen, right? And some have become so focused on the return of Christ, thinking he's going to return like immediately, that it led them to just kind of dismiss all of responsibility in life. And so some of them decided to not even work, right? Because why? Why should I put in the effort? Why is it necessary? Because Jesus is going to come back anytime. So it led them to this idle life. So listen to how Paul addresses them. He says, for even... When we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, notice it doesn't say can't work. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Paul's communicating this personal responsibility that God has given to us since the order of creation to work and to earn a living in a sense as we understand it according to making wages and being able to provide for things in life. And so Paul addresses that within the context of his issues with the church in Thessalonica. So we're tempted to overwork because of our sin. We're tempted to resist work because of our sin. We are also tempted to grow weary because of our sin. We're tempted to grow tired. The monotonous nature of work, right? It, we learn it takes discipline, commitment. It takes faithfulness day after day to, to work. It's part of the, the pain, I think, that God was speaking of in the curse there in Genesis chapter 3, the pain of it, right? It just becomes monotonous, becomes something we, we grow weary of. Proverbs 13 verse 11 says this, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Wealth gained hastily makes me think of a couple things. One, we you know we search after those kind of get rich quick th- schemes, right? We, we want to get as much as we can for as little uh, inputs, there's little work, right? Uh, and also, we have heard even of some testifying of those who are wealthy, who would say, I'm not leaving any or very little of my wealth to my children because I don't want them to just be given quick wealth, because in that it can, at times, because of the sinful nature of our hearts, produce within us a lax attitude and even uh, one that is demanding of self and so forth. And so um, we, we realize these things. So we grow weary in the gathering little by little that Proverbs 13, 11 would encourage us with. But yet we see the wisdom in that. 
So sin tempts us in these ways. We also realize that because of sin, it, it really skews our perspective on some things about work. And very specifically, uh, here's some examples of how it skews our, our perspective about work, perhaps, and things we've wrestled with over time because of it. Uh, as far as the role of women specifically, right, that perfect helper that God created to join in the effort to work and to keep God's creation what is it in God's design? Is it the woman's responsibility to, is she able to work outside the home or is childbearing and child rearing to be her only focus? What's the role of that? Um, it's been a topic of conversation throughout the years. What about retirement? Our perspective of retirement, right? Is, is this a time to focus on me as much as possible because I've earned it? Is it something to, is work something we retire from? What about the kind of cultural idea of work from a community standpoint? What's best? Is it capitalism? Is it socialism? There's a dichotomy between the sacred and the sac secular even at times that our idea about work can create, right? That somehow what is sacred and what is secular are, are distinct Many Christians have a misunderstanding that being a pastor or a missionary is somehow more honorable to Christ than working at a factory. So we see our, our, our perspectives about work have been challenged. And even over the years, we look throughout history, right? different periods of history have influenced how we have thought about work and the nature of work. I mean, 30 years ago, who would have thought of the idea of being a social media influencer as a job, right? But quite honestly, our context today in our technological revolution, it's changed the answer of children when you ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now one of the top answers is a social media influencer, right? We look at periods of history, ancient history, Middle Ages, modern, the modern age. We look at all of those, we see this this difference of perspective and nature of work. We look at the different movements of history based on you know, different things about that period of history, the scientific revolution, what that's brought, the agricultural revolution, the industrial revolution, technological revolution. We look at those things, it's like, man, how would that, those periods and introduction of things uh, have, have changed the way and nature of work. I mean, with technology, who would have thought like work from home would be an option, right? kind of thing, working remotely, so on. So uh, all of that is kind of groundwork for us to run, uh, understand God's created design for work. It is part of what God has given to us as man and woman to, to do in this life, to be responsible for in this life, and sin has skewed that and muddied our understanding of it. And one of the ways a uh, man named Tom Nelson who started a ministry called Made the Flourish, speaks of this in the uh, national conference of our churches, uh, our Evangelical Free Church of America that I was at last week. Uh, one of the workshops they offered was by this ministry called Made to Flourish, and I attended that. And their whole goal is helping churches and pastors trying to think differently and, and closing what they referred to as this gap between Sunday to Monday kind of this disconnect that can take place within the minds of believers. And if their statistics are true, like 
many of you sitting in the room and, and tuning in online, like you may not understand or think much about what is the connection between what I do on Sunday in a context like this, a context of worship, and what I do on Monday. Is there a connect, right? Does our worship have anything to do with our work? Does our work have anything to do with our worship? One of the things he points out is uh, the fallacies of how we think about work, which I agree with, is that he says this. He says, we tend to equate work with compensation. It's true, right? What we call work, we tend to reference in what we are compensated for. In other words, retirement, right? I'm done getting compensated, so I'm done with work. Uh, Work is about increasing the bottom line many times, making more, spending less. It has to do with money, with compensation. It drives questions like this. Is a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad working if they are not getting compensated? We tend to say this when we are not being compensated, we tend to say we are out of work, right? I'm out of work. Why? Because I'm not getting a paycheck. So one of the things he identifies as a challenge for us as believers is to somehow think differently about what we consider to be work. And this is what he says in that regard. He says, work is far more. Work is primarily a contribution, not compensation. It's about contribution to God's world, contributions that can take paid and unpaid forms. From cradle to grave, we were created to contribute to God and his good world. So thinking in terms of contribution, to contribute to the order and design, to contribute to the provision of what is good in the eyes of God. And that seems to me to be a much better understanding of the concept of work as it relates to God's original design and creation. Here's a definition that uh, is mine and trying to think of how to pull these thoughts together for you, perhaps a whole different way for you of thinking about work than you ever have before. And that is the definition of work being to contribute to God's created design and to glorify Him by seeking the common good and God's grace in our family, community, meaning neighborhoods or friendships or co-workers or town and our local church, right? To contribute to God's created design, to glorify Him by seeking the common good and God's grace in our family and community and local church. To contribute, whether compensated or not. The idea of work is to take and to build into what God has designed as order and creation and to say, Today, I may not receive a paycheck for what I do today, but that does not mean I am not contributing to God's created order and design. You see, and that, that falls to the very, uh, very or against the very basis of, of that idea and thought, even the temptation we have of resisting work, right? Uh, because oftentimes the resisting of work, it's, it's done so out of, a, out of a selfishness, like we just live in this isolation perhaps, or we do what we want to do for selfish. No, no, work is about contributing to what God has created and, and looking at that as the common good and the grace of God in the midst of, of life. And so to, to, to work is to live, to spend my energy in a way that is honoring to Christ in whatever arena of life. 
Proverbs 16, verse 3 says this, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Right? There's a committing of that work to the Lord, glorifying him in what we do. Furthermore, in the New Testament, we read of this in Galatians chapter 6, 9 and 10. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let us do good to everyone. There's a sense where our energy, our work in life is to be spent for the common good. There is particular emphasis here upon the local church. That's why in my definition I said not only family and community, but also local church, right? Because our, our effort, our energy in life from day to day is to be spent focused upon what it is that we create in the common good of life, whether that's a job that you get paid for or not, right? It may not be even about the particular focus or product of your job, but you have a group of coworkers that you interact with at work, right? So what is it that you bring to the table on that team or in that office or whatever that is of the common good and pushing forward the grace of God, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ. How are you spending of your time and your energy in those ways? 1 Corinthians 10, 31, which is a verse referenced often, but yet is so succinct and so clear as to what drives our daily efforts. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So this, the scriptures inform us that work is not just about what we are compensated for. It's much bigger, much broader. It is about how we contribute to God's created order and design and what is to bring him glory and honor. I love the encouragement that through the prophet Isaiah that God gives to us. Um, Isaiah, or excuse me, Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29. And let me set this up for you. This was... Uh, period in history in which Israel had been divided into northern kingdom and southern kingdom. Southern kingdom had already, or the northern kingdom had already been taken captive by Assyria and the southern kingdom, which included Jerusalem, uh, had also fallen prey to disobedience. And so God was sending them into exile as a means of discipline, not to cast them off forever, but to get their attention, right? And he's saying to them, I will bring you back. You've heard Jeremiah 29, 11, right? You know, the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, and so forth. And, and so within that context, though, Israel is in exile in this moment. And through the prophet Jeremiah, listen to what God encourages them to do while they're in exile. Now, granted, this is being removed from their homeland, taken into a, a, a pagan culture. And, and what is, you know, we, we might think that God would say to them, hey, just kind of, hey, just huddle up together, like, just, just hang on, you got 70 years, you know, just, just do it what you know. Like, here's, here's what God encourages them with in the midst of a pagan culture. Jeremiah 29, verse 4, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. I think this is marriage together, right? God's not saying commanding them to marry 
the foreign sons and daughters, because that would be in, in, in uh, disobedience to other commands of God. But he's saying, hey, as you're here, like continue to build the family, continue to grow the family, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease. And here it is, verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So Jeremiah saying, hey, listen, here's what God has for you. This is purposeful. I've sent you into exile for a purpose. And while you're in the midst of this pagan culture, seek the common good, right? Seek the benefit of Babylon. I realize we may not be happy with many things going on in our country and in our particular context, right? But as believers, what is to be our response to that? What is to be our, 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 our thinking in the midst of life, day to day? Are we to, to resist and, you know, wish poorly on other? No, it's like as you live life, work and do good and seek the common good among you, right? Seek the welfare of, of the place in which you live, right? Because in its welfare is your welfare and, and God seeking to honor that and noting that, hey, as I live, I live to the glory of God and his glory alone. So the biblical framework for the concept of work involves every aspect of life from changing diapers to changing tires, right? From preaching a sermon to giving a sales pitch. From managing a team of employees to managing your yard. From coaching your new employee to coaching the t-ball team. From checking pulses to checking checks. From performing surgery to performing on stage. right? From aging faithfully to young and full of spunk. All of life. All of life is to be lived for his glory. That is work. God cares just as much about what you do on Monday is what you do on Sunday, right? There is no divide of the sacred and secular. What you are doing here today of taking time to come and gather as believers is not to be separate from or seen as distinct from what you're going to be doing tomorrow morning at 8 or 9 o'clock or tonight at, at 11 o'clock from 11 to 7, or whatever your job context may be or whether you're at home this week with children who are out of school and spending most of your time discipling them, right? Whatever the context is, there's no divide here between what we do today and what we do then. It's all meant to be an act of worship to God. In fact, to take it a step further, I believe, as scriptures declare for us, as we build this biblical framework of work, is that God cares much more about how you do whatever you do than actually what you do, right? It's the heart. God, God cares more about how you do what you do than actually what you do. I don't know that there's a greater value to one job versus another. What God finds value in is your heart in the midst of whatever you do. Are you doing it to the praise of his glory? Are you doing it to seek the common good of those around you, loving a neighbor, right? Even praying 
and loving on those who might be your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How do you work for a difficult boss? Uh, and so on, right? I mean, there's so many aspects of work dynamic we find in the scriptures. Man, this, this isn't somehow we go to church on Sunday. No, I'm worshiping just as much as how I respond to that difficult boss or that difficult coworker. I'm worshiping just as much in how I respond to them and how I live in relationship with them as I am when I'm here on Sunday lifting my hands in worship in a song that we're not doing today. <laughs> this expands our concept of worship. We think of worship primarily as what we do on Sunday, but it's more than that. Worship is seamless and it's all-encompassing. It entails every Thing we do in life. It doesn't mean we neglect gathering on Sundays, right? Or that our gathering at this time is less important. Instead, we, what we do during the week is elevated to a status of worship. Um, so may the Spirit give us wisdom in thinking through these things. And so no music today doesn't mean we haven't worshiped together, right? Nor does leaving here mean that worship is done. Um, we spend our life in worship. So as we finish, um, we're going to have time now for our supplication. We've had time of adoration, of confession, of thanksgiving. And uh, Psalm 86 is a place that we want to go today to read, to finish our time with supplication. And uh, so let's stand together to our feet as we read of this scripture, the first 13 verses of Psalm 86, um, alongside one another. Let's read out loud. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Amen? And so in that, may we find in our life seeking to glorify God in all things. I want to uh, 
have a, a question response here to finish. I'm not going to close with prayer. We're going to let this be uh, kind of our conclusion together today. So on the screen for you will be a question and response. I'll state the question. You give the response. There's two of those, and then we'll finish together uh, with a statement. Here's the question for you. Is church over? And why is that? Let's read together. Yes, let's go work for his glory as we live on mission this week. Amen. Amen. And as you go, may God's grace and peace be multiplied to you.